Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bempert with Realcom, and today we will be talking about space utilization and workplace sensors, analytics, and AI. And we have a great panel of thought leaders joining us today. Before we get started, let's go over a few housekeeping items. You can submit your questions and comments in the um, Q&A section and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. If we don't get back to you during the session, we'll follow up with you after the event. For the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other applications that might currently be running. And then if you do run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbamperet.realcom.com. You can also download a copy of this presentation deck from the handout section, and we will be recording the session and the recording will be available within the next few days. I'd like to introduce the sponsors for today's event, Avuity, MRI, Prescriptive Data, and Yardi. Uh, those are the gold sponsors. We also have a silver sponsor, uh, Butler, and we'll learn more about the gold sponsors throughout the session. Before we go on, I want to just quickly acknowledge this. Today is Veterans Day, so um, thanks to all the veterans in our community for your service. Really appreciate it. And let's go on and uh, introduce the moderator for today's event, Chris. Lees and Chris Lees is with DataClan. Chris is a workplace strategist and mathematician. He's a specialist in data and workplace analytics and has led organizational change and strategy development, provided operational management consultancy during mergers and acquisitions, and provided technical consultancy to support functional consolidations. Chris's main focus um, is within the corporate real estate sector and it's in workplace strategy and in particular, Occupancy Analytics, Productivity, and Workplace Technology. Chris, um, thank you very much for joining us today and for moderating the session. I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome everyone to today's webinar, Space Utilization and Workplace Sensors, Analytics, and AI. Over the last 18 months or so, we have seen the most dramatic shift in working location in all of our lifetimes. First, we had the enormous shift, almost overnight it seemed, to working from home, being the norm for pretty much all corporates. This tested us to, and in many cases, beyond the limits of what our corporate collaboration technologies and infrastructure could handle. Our people had to reimagine how uh, and often when they worked, and balance between work and home life was a much more direct issue. They suddenly had to create a working environment at home where in many cases there wasn't one before and they had to do all of this without all of the sophistication the services and the support that we provide in our modern workplaces now we're faced with another possibly even bigger challenge how do we provide a new workplace that supports the emerging hybrid working models even before the pandemic, there were complex challenges and opportunities in providing workplaces that really worked for our people. Workplaces that met basic needs like uh, keeping them safe, helping them be happy and healthy and providing appropriate conditions for work to take place. We had to do this whilst also managing cost and spend and creating a good balance between our workplace experience and the real estate portfolio costs. At the heart of this balance is understanding what our people are doing in our buildings and why they're doing it. We need to know what the choices they are making are, which space to use for an activity, 
and increasingly when to be in the office at all? Are these being made from an appropriate set of choices that offer the appropriate variety of environments and availability? We need to understand how the space we provide is being consumed, what spaces are in high demand that we might need more of, which could be removed with minimal impact, and are we missing any types of space that our people would really benefit from if we provided them? And increasingly, we need to offer our people easier ways of accessing our workspaces and workplace services, simpler access control, mobile app-based booking solutions, at-desk services and ordering, integrated spaces and services, and better information to support their workplace choices. For more than a decade, corporate real estate functions and technology suppliers have been trying to find better ways of answering these questions. And I am very excited to hear the perspectives of our fantastic panel today on these and some related topics. Before we hear from our first presenter, I'd uh, like to uh, play you a message from Avuity. So with that, I would uh, like to introduce our first speaker, Jared Easterwood. Jared is a solution-oriented leader with over a decade of experience supporting the technology and collaboration needs of global clients. He's a history in both marketing and sales with a focus as the technology subject matter expert across the Southeast and New York City. He joined Avuity in early 2019 and has grown to manage Avuity's partnerships as well as the company's broad swathe of marketing endeavors. Jared, over to you. Hey, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and uh, good day to everybody, depending on where you're at. Um, so thanks for that introduction, Chris. Uh, what I wanted to speak about today is, you know, a few trends and a few specific ways in which leading organizations are actually leveraging data. So I'll start out with uh, some research that Gartner published earlier this year. Um, you know, they published a pretty lengthy list of some top data and analytics trends for 2021. I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but I did want to highlight four of them that I think uh, will do a nice job of showing how specifically leading organizations are leveraging data based on these trends. So uh, the first being smarter, more responsible and scalable AI. So that means, you know, leveraging AI to make our lives better, make our lives easier day in and day out at the office, but also respecting uh, personal identifiable information, respecting uh, employee privacy, respecting client and consumer privacy, uh, while also reaping the benefits of that AI. 
the second being data fabric as the foundation. So uh, data fabric being defined as an architectural set of interwoven data services across multiple cloud environments. Um, you can think of it as sort of a groundwork versus the more traditional or uh, you know the older sense of data being a nice add-on. Um, this is really data being interwoven as a as a baseline, as a groundwork for services going forward. Uh, the third trend that Gartner noticed uh, was data and analytics being a core business function, right? So it's no longer uh, a luxury. It's no longer something that organizations are getting to once they accomplish their uh, their immediate goals, but it really is a core business function. It's essential to building uh, proprietary research within your own organization using your own data. Um, and finally, the, the fourth trend that I wanted to highlight is the rise of the augmented consumer or the augmented end user. So traditionally, uh, you know, data being extremely valuable for the C-suite, for their decision makers, for your folks in facilities and real estate. Now we're seeing that the customer is a key user of an organization's data. The everyday employees, the folks who are living, breathing, and using the space day in and day out are essential users of this organizational data. So I hope these trends do a nice job of uh, informing some of the specific ways in which organizations are gonna be using data moving uh, into this year and, and next year that I'm gonna move on to. Uh, the key is that you know we don't wanna be gathering data just for data's sake. Um, we got to make sure we're gathering relevant data and that we're doing it in a meaningful way to inform meaningful decisions. Let's see. So the first uh, method or the first way in which leading organizations are leveraging data based upon those trends that I highlighted that I'll focus on today is uh, it's pretty obvious, right? Understanding space usage. So traditionally, space usage was measured or understood by surveys. Uh, maybe badging data, um, anecdotal uh, information, which is you know, really easy to roll out, but it's entirely dependent on the employee's adherence to company protocols or company policies. What we're seeing now is a shift to an occupancy sensor-based uh, methodology where um, the behavior is the only thing that matters, right? The adherence to company policies or the adherence to certain protocols is sort of irrelevant. You'll be able to pull that from the data itself regardless. Um, but with these you know, real-time occupancy sensors, we can actually answer questions like, are people socially distancing? You know, when and where is the, are these high traffic areas? What are the busy times? What are the popular areas within the space? What are the unpopular areas within the space? So we can get to a much greater detail and a much greater granularity of space usage and not just taking an industry uh, standard or you know, someone else's word for it. This is proprietary to your own organization. The second uh, manner in which we're seeing leading organizations leverage this data is increasing employee awareness, right? So this is moving from a space-centric to an employee-centric office uh, where it's all about end-user experience, right? So I touched on it earlier. This is this is the augmented user. This is you know not just giving these benefits of this space understanding to the individuals and facilities and real estate, but also to the employees who can actually look and see and find the perfect space in real time for their heads down work or uh, you know if they have a mobile uh, desk booking uh, initiative you know this really informs that it empowers the end user to have the choice and control over everywhere they're working right this is leading to increases in productivity uh, wellness and supporting the work modes both physically and mentally of our employees whether it be an app on your cell phone 
or a centrally mounted uh, touchscreen or a, a map in a concierge or an elevator lobby that informs this information. That's all about putting it in the, the palm of the employee and empowering them to make these decisions themselves. Uh, the third way in which leading organizations are leveraging data going forward that I'll focus on today is informing space changes. So this is where we're actually tapping into the ROI, right? I know that that's extremely important when we're looking at space analytics and occupancy platforms. Um, this is taking that design thinking methodology and embracing agile work, right? So when there is a lease renewal coming up or a restack or a refresh of a particular office expansion or contraction, we want to make sure that we're actually building more of the popular areas and the high used areas and less of the unpopular areas. Maybe this means that, you know, we don't have quite as many of the 20 person conference rooms that are used, uh, you know, once or twice a month. Uh, you know, maybe it means that, you know, those huddle rooms that we thought we only needed, you know, two or three of per floor, they're being used by everyone and we need to have four or five uh, per floor. And then finally uh, is improving building services, right? So this is moving from a schedule-based model to a usage-based model for janitorial custodial staff, uh, benefiting not just the tenants, but also the building owners themselves. And uh, I know that we're running short on time, so I'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Fantastic. Thank you, Jared. Uh, really interesting to hear your perspectives on that. I wonder, um, you mentioned uh, using sensors to answer questions like, are people socially distancing? And I just wondered, um, are you hearing very different types of questions now than before the pandemic or are most of the questions the same, you think? Uh, Chris, I would say completely different. Right. So I think from a pre-COVID era, it was all about cost savings, cost savings. And, you know, you know, what's our you know, cost per square foot? You know, how can we attribute who's using what? Whereas now it's more about how can I make my employees feel comfortable or how can I adhere to a local ordinance? You know, if you're living in a city where um, this is highly scrutinized. So we're getting a lot more detailed questions uh, now versus pre-COVID for sure. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And um, obviously, one of the things with a lot of this technology um, is that it's new. You know, these are emerging technologies often that are placed in these sensors. Um, how can companies kind of adopt these early without taking on risks that come with those really kind of new and novel solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. So we always encourage a baby steps approach. Um, there's not some airtight playbook of how to return your employees to the office and understand how that space is being used uh, after a pandemic, right? There's not, <laughs> that's not something that anyone has figured out, right? Lots of organizations are struggling with that. And the answers for each of those organizations are gonna be completely different. You know, you can't just Google how to how to go about that sort of workplace strategy. Um, so it is important to take a baby steps approach where you say, hey, you know what, let's start with understanding the space. And then maybe a day two, you know, something a few a few months later, a step two approach is, OK, well, now let's roll out some of that to the employees themselves now that we understand the space. OK, well, now we maybe we can use the employees having the ability to see what spaces are in use or not in use in real time and our data that we're gathering. Maybe we can use that to inform uh some protocols or some uh you know some compliance issues within the office itself so you know we would never encourage anyone to dive feet first into step seven uh it's all about rolling this out in a meaningful approach making sure that you're gathering relevant data and not just you know whatever you can and you know taking that baby steps approach is a really great way to mitigate risk thank you jazz so baby steps and relevant data love it 
Yeah. Thank you very much for your uh, presentation there. We'll get you back on the panel a little bit later on. Um, now we'll move on to our next presenter. But before that, uh, let's hear a message from MRI. The role of the workplace is to drive collaboration, engagement, and business results. But with hybrid work schedules, shifting needs, and various health requirements, bringing employees together as a team is harder than it used to be. With MRI, you can bring people back to the office in a way that suits their needs and the needs of the business. Create a safe, flexible, and productive work environment with space planning and reservation tools that empower employees to make optimal use of your workplace control the flow of employees and visitors in and out of the office with solutions that give you a full view of who's on site and who's working remotely. Leverage technology to evaluate usage and business demand, optimizing your space and plan for the office of the future. Reinvent your workspace into a thriving workplace. That's great. So uh, on to our next speaker, Andy Birch. Andy is an experienced business software professional with a unique blend of marketing, technical, industry, product and sales expertise. He has proven success in delivering sales and marketing programs that achieve game changing results and is particularly strong at taking complex issues and turning them into understandable value propositions for customers and partners. Andy. Thanks, Chris. It's uh, good to have a fellow Brit on the call for a change. So uh, uh, thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Andy Birch. Uh, you may remember last time I talked about the demand for flexible space and that capability to manage the space planning, space scheduling, uh, and space utilization. Today, I want to touch on the demand for, for healthy space. Um, so really, this is driven by you know, some key challenges uh, that we have out there. You've, you, you're all aware of the fact that we've just had this COP26 uh, conference in, in Scotland, and there's increasing pressures on organizations uh, for social responsibility and cost efficiency. But this doesn't have to be a negative, it's very much a win-win situation uh, for many of you out there. As there are kind of rising energy costs, it's important to be are on top of, uh, of the energy usage uh, within the, your buildings today. Um, also, moving forwards, uh, we, we're seeing increasingly growing trends around regulation and compliance. There's been some latest initi initiatives in the US recently uh, from the EPA around uh, compliance requirements. And finally, of course, we're dealing with this elephant in the room around people returning to the workplace. So suddenly you're going from a, a dormant building where the lights are barely on, um, maybe minimal kind of energy usage to going back to this hybrid environment where you're dealing with the challenges of people coming in um, and, and generating kind of peak demand in terms of the energy usage with the, in the building. And you're also challenged with how to manage that from a facility perspective in terms of ensuring the effectiveness and efficiency of how that building is run. So um, 
it's probably pertinent for, for all people to consider the fact that um, in terms of that energy usage, um, even it, 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 generally speaking, in the average building today, 30% uh, of energy is, is actually wasted in that building. So there's uh, certainly the capability for organizations today to make small improvements, which both hopefully will help from a global perspective, but also in terms of the, um, the, the benefits to the organization itself uh, from an operational cost perspective. So what does that kind of landscape look like in terms of the things that you may have to consider? I, I've broken it down into four areas here, going from the bottom up. Uh, you've got the utility and power distribution network. Uh, in the US alone, there's over 3,000 energy providers and distributors out there uh, that you're dealing with. You're dealing with the building management systems and the control and, and monitoring of that, which, which Jared touched on a little bit and we'll hear more about uh, throughout this uh, call today in terms of how technology is helping you monitor and control uh, usage uh, within uh, the buildings that you have. Then um, the top part I'm going to focus on a little bit more, which is the data collection and aggregation, because this is really where you can make a difference by having a focus on this. You can really help in terms of management of the energy usage within the building. Um, and importantly, um, as you're dealing with the, uh, the tenants that you have within that building and their kind of flexible use uh, of that uh, building environment, it's how you build, build back to them in, in terms of, in terms of uh, their uh, energy usage uh, as well. Um, I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk about uh, a case study here. Here's kind of a practical application of some of the capabilities that the MRI provide. This is Auburn University. So here they're, they're very publicly displaying their energy usage uh, across the campus and they have the capability for anyone within the, uh, within the campus to access uh, the energy dashboard. Um, and to Jared's a point about this kind of switch from the space-centric to the employee-centric. We're seeing very much as well that, that shift from a, a lease or building-centric to the tenant-centric uh, and their needs to actually be more involved in that process and through that actually driving uh, change and uh, improvements uh, within, uh, within this usage as well. So here we see, as, a, 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 as an example, we're seeing the arts department, they've got their building here, we're seeing their energy usage and the trending information over time. And they can switch this between the electric usage versus the water usage versus gas usage uh, for each of these locations and switch um, and really uh, self-serve their requirements to look at how uh, energy is being used in that. In fact, there's almost like a competitive feel to this now, because what you're seeing is that uh, the, there's the ability to compare different uh, departments, uh, different buildings, and how they're using energy across that. In actual fact, uh, introduce an element of competitiveness and trophies awarded 
for where the, the savings use, uh, um, savings achieved in, in these different locations. So you're seeing here um, a comparative benchmark against their actual usage here. So just uh, I'll conclude, um, you know, some energy management considerations for the workplace, something achievable for, for everyone is to look at how you implement uh, dashboards and energy analysis. So providing that comprehensive analysis to look at uh, business metrics uh, and virtual meters for data aggregation and building efficiency, to think about sustainability management and how you're consuming different types of energy within the building um, and how you can build in uh, things like waste and recycling into that process uh, and put in uh, analysis techniques. Um, think about it from a, a tenant perspective and how you can validate both the uh, energy usage from the energy providers and then build back to your tenants for that. And finally, how you use that data collection uh, to detect um, different um, variances that you might have uh, in the building itself uh, and deal with those to improve efficiency. So apologies for that. It went a minute over time, I think. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, no, very interesting presentation. I remember in my time at Zurich, we did a, a program of lighting replacement, uh, move, you know, moving to LEDs when that was the th big thing. Um, and I was asked to do some uh, analysis of the cost viability, you know, program cost versus savings, and it looked like it was like a one percent saving or something. And my response was, we've got thirty percent of our space that we probably don't need. Why are we looking at the one percent for switching to LED at this point? And you mentioned thirty percent of energy is wasted, and I'm sure some of that must correspond to the, the excess space, the, the empty space. But I'm curious if there are other factors leading to there being so much waste that you're aware of. Yeah, it, it, it's really the fact that, um, you know, in a, in a modern building today, uh, you're thinking about how you optimize the use of the energy within the building. And there's, con there's uh, controls uh, in place, there's smart metering, et cetera, to control thermostats uh, across the building and, and how they're set uh, to meet demands. Um, what we're seeing is a need even for buildings that are really not that old, um, but to kind of retrofit some of those sensors and controls to actually improve how you're using energy within those buildings and, and, and ensuring that, um, for instance, you'll walk through a city centre and you'll see all the lights on in a building, even though there's no one there. So it's just putting in place that those controls to automatically switch off the, those lights at a particular point where there's no occupancy. So it's, it's simple things like that that actually will make a difference to your operating costs uh, significantly. And we're seeing a huge spike in terms of uh, energy costs now. Uh, 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 across the across the globe. Fantastic, thank you, Andy. And you you, you remind me of a, a really fascinating and insightful story from a building in New York that we, we may get to later today. Okay. But thank you very much Looking for that. Awesome. Fantastic presentation. Next up, uh, we have Shahar Peleg. Um, Shahar currently serves as VP of Product at Prescriptive Data. He leads product strategy, road mapping, and feature execution on Prescriptive Data's flagship product, Nantum OS. Shahar, over to you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for the introduction. Hello, everyone. Um, what I'm going to talk about is how we um, use the power of occupancy data together with uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and to enable running the uh, buildings more efficiently, as well as increasing the building's tenants' uh, comfort. I'm going to go through uh, a number of use cases uh, to highlight uh, uh, these kind of um, executions. Yeah, so the first use case uh, is around COVID. How can we have it differently in these days? And this is where occupancy data is actually used to monitor compliance uh, uh, to make mandates, and, and now more recently to the return of work. So occupancy data in this case um, was used to monitor the compliance of the tenants uh, to the New York City uh, to the New York State uh, Governor uh, Stay Home mandate at the beginning of the pandemic. It was then uh, used to monitor the compliance to the mandate of how of the percentage that you're allowed to occupy uh, your building. And now with the return to work, it actually allows to uh, monitor uh, the tenants coming back to work, whether on a tenant level, building level, or uh, portfolio level. The second case study is actually a very uh, interesting one. And this is uh, one of a large investment firm, one of the largest investment firms in the world who uh, sustainability is obviously a very important uh, and significant topic. Uh, as part of their program to densify their New York City headquarters, they actually wanted to understand what would the impact of the occupancy and space utilization would be uh, on their carbon emissions and their ESG goals in, in general. So by correlating sustainability matrix like the energy consumption, the water consumption, and the associated carbon emissions, putting that together with the occupancy and space utilization data, we're actually able to reach some very interesting uh, uh, insights and results. For example, we were able to identify which floors you could actually be adding more occupants to and you actually be decreasing the carbon emissions per person. Then the third example is where we, occupancy data is, is used to automate and control the building systems uh, to result in uh, energy savings. Uh, occupancy data is used um, as one of the main sources for machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, algorithms to predict what is the optimal time uh, to start the building in the morning when uh, to ramp down the building HVC systems in midday as people go out to lunch, when to ramp it back when they come back to lunch, as well as when they will be heading out and we can uh, ramp down the HVC systems and ride out the building thermal inertia till the end of the day. The delta between the blue line here that we're seeing and the green shaded area, these are pure energy savings which are aggregated on a day-to-day -day basis which are achieved using occupancy uh, based um, energy automations. The next uh, example is taking these uh, occupancy-based energy uh, automations to the next level from a granularity perspective and bringing it to a floor-by-floor -floor level. So being able to monitor occupancy on a floor-by-floor -floor level or a zone level, we're actually able to control the HVC system in a much more gradual, uh, granular perspective in this case this is a large office owner in Washington, D.C., who implemented this on a floor-by-floor -floor basis, such that the HVAC systems would only start 
when there's three people arriving after 7 a.m. in the morning on a specific floor. The same mechanism was also implemented at the end of the day. So uh, when there's less than three people on the floor after 2 p.m., HV system, systems were ramped down. Now, this is particularly important in the uh, return to work uh, after the, in the COVID pandemic as the predictability of when people will come to work, which days and what times, uh, became dramatically reduced. The next use case is using occupancy data for IAQ, for indoor air quality. The pandemic, this COVID-19 pandemic, has put a spotlight on the importance of the indoor air quality uh, within uh, the building. In this case, uh, the building owner was looking to do uh, a number of building health uh, certificates. So indoor air quality sensors were uh, installed across uh, the building. Correlating that data together with the occupancy uh, data actually allows to control the HVC systems based on occupancy as well as the indoor air quality. So that drives improved uh, focus on the health and wellness and productivity of the tenants rather than just on the energy savings. The last use case which I want to uh, uh, refer to is a use case where uh, occupancy data is actually used to both reduce costs as well as energy. In this case, uh, a tenant, a, a large uh, private equity firm, was paying for uh, conditioned air over the weekend for 16 hours to, to uh, enhance the uh, comfort of the, their workers coming to work over the weekend. However, occupancy data has shown that they are coming in for only six hours. So just very simply, the lease was amended and um, adjusted accord accordingly, providing uh, savings both to the uh, tenant, but also to the owner, reducing their energy spend. As we can see, there's a number of use cases that where occupancy data can be combined with uh, machine learning and uh, um, artificial intelligence uh, to drive buildings uh, to operate more efficiently, but also uh, to increase the tenant's comfort. Fantastic. Thank you, Shahal. Really fascinating stuff. I just wonder uh, briefly, um, you, you talked a lot about collecting the occupancy data. Um, what are the different methods that you encounter of collecting occupancy data? Yeah, so as, as we saw and we went through just a number of use cases, there's a variety of different use cases uh, requiring different type of uh, occupancy data. So occupancy data could be collected from uh, an, uh, a turnstile access control where you badge in and, and badge out. It could be um, uh, retrieved from occupancy sensors installed at uh, uh, bottleneck locations throughout uh, the building. Or occupancy could also be derived or achieved from the Wi-Fi access points uh, throughout the building. Um, each of the different methods has their advantages as well as their disadvantages. And for the specific use cases, the right uh, method uh, should be uh, implemented. That's great. I'm sure we'll we'll come back to that more um, at the end, uh, Shahar. I, I think there's uh, uh, th there's lots of interesting, um, uh, I guess, features of those different methods, aren't there, that we could we could discuss. Uh, let's leave it there for now, though. Thank you very much, Shahar. Before we move on to our next presenter, um, let's get a message from uh, Yadi. 
Commercial real estate is changing and Yardi has the right technology to power your strategy. Turn vacancy back into revenue with Yardi Cube, the award-winning solution that helps build a thriving co-working community. Improve energy operations with Yardi Pulse, the energy performance platform that helps you operate your buildings from anywhere. Drive asset performance with Yardi Elevate, the technology suite that connects every aspect of real estate operations. Yardi, energized for tomorrow. Thank you. And next up we have Turner Levison. Turner's focused on helping corporate real estate occupiers leverage solutions from the Yardi Coulomb suite. He was the CEO and co-founder of Commission Track, a deal flow and commission management platform for CRE brokerages, which was acquired by Yardi in 2020. So Turner, um, look forward to what you have to tell us. Hey, yeah, thank you, Chris. And um, you know, excited to be a part of the webinar today. And you know, I, I think what we'll look at is is from the seat that I get to sit, and I'm I'm lucky in the you know, at Yardi, I'm able to see trends that are happening across corporate occupiers from the Yardi Corum brand, but also on the side of asset managers, owners, landlords, and even uh, co-working operators, just given the breadth of, of the solutions that we have. And today, I'm really looking forward to sharing some of the themes that, that we've been seeing. And uh, specifically, I'll, I'll share some data from our research uh, that we did with BOMA a few thousand uh, corporate occupiers and we'll kind of delve into the the rapidly changing needs of tenants that certainly you know, things like the the COVID has accelerated uh, and, and moved into the mainstream and then we'll we'll also look at the other side and see how buildings are responding to those needs and what the future of office and office assets might look like so you know just to to get going and and maybe some of you were um at realcom in scottsdale and had a chance to see Anna yardi um our, our founder speak on this topic you know the building of the future and you know this this building is you know, maybe today you know historically perhaps a single use asset all office space um, one of the things that we're starting to see pretty heavily is is this this mixed use a modern mixed use building where <clears throat> you have different solutions and different components of the building all working in harmony at both the IoT the cloud software and even the physical building itself and its structure whether it's you know in this case a guest needing to enter the building securely um, or a member of a co-working center within this building, um, an employee of a corporate occupier uh, that is leased you know, physical space and, and kind of has you know, maybe a permanent lease in this, uh, this asset, um, or even uh, a prospect or resident in uh, multifamily units up, up there in the building as well. And at the building level, how do we have all of the right technology uh, and the right sensors in place for this you know, to, to be a valuable and, and helpful experience for all of the different types of people that will interact uh, with the building. So our vision is, you know, having role-based apps uh, that are delivered to all these different folks and they're 
essentially built on, on IoT solutions as well. And that's not even getting into some of the other, you know, uh, themes that have been discussed today around energy or um, you know, leveraging some of the usage data to drive smarter janitorial decisions. And this is really, you know, even just looking at how the building is set up, how co-working is starting to, to become a mainstay in, uh, in office assets and how corporate occupiers are now expecting to interact with these buildings and have you know, a full experience here. Um, you know, I think a theme that we're seeing at the occupier level is this selection of buildings that offer more flexibility and ways to meet their needs. And you know, on the other side, the buildings that aren't adapting to these changing needs, whether it be from a health perspective, um, a flexibility perspective on, on how to utilize space and expanding and contracting space based on needs, um, you know, those that aren't adapting to this are, are going to underperform and, and lose out here. You know, an example, if we hone in, you know, in this particular building that we're taking a look at on employees and members, you know, historically that may have been, you know, a Venn diagram that didn't necessarily overlap. Uh, moving forward, what we're seeing is more and more corporate occupiers you know, really seeking out and narrowing down where they're willing to sign a lease to buildings that offer or have within them a co-working center, whether that's, you know, a, a joint venture between the building and, and an operator fully run by the building or a completely third party. Uh, the, the occupier wants that flexibility where they may have come into this, this building before in least enough space for you know, their whole team to be there every single day and have permanent desks and offices for that team, as well as even leasing um, you know, enough space where they can install a kitchenette and a large conference room for the you know, maybe once or twice a month that everyone needs to go in there. That same corporate occupier is thinking about space differently. Uh, it's transitioning to more of a culture hub and more of a hybrid uh, model where the the business wants to lease space um, and you know ultimately uh, be able to flex into a a co-working center and rent a conference room for the day when they're actually gonna gonna all meet in person or have desks uh, that employees are hoteling into. So you know I'll move through the the next part you know fairly quickly here in terms of you know, the vaccinations and health safety. I think some of the other presenters have done a great job talking about uh, just the, the need for whether it be better uh, sanitation of the air or HVAC, uh, pres uh, HVAC uh, cleaning. Um, from a remote work and hybrid workspace perspective, uh, we're seeing corporate occupiers uh, more readily adopt desk hoteling and hybrid workspaces and using their office as more of a culture hub. From an opportunities perspective, you know, let's really think for the occupier, the opportunity is to downsize your space and allow people to come in, you know, when they would like or for events as opposed to the, the classic nine to five. And for the owner of the asset, you know, really the opportunity is to, to make your space more flexible, to have co-working in your building, to give the corporate occupiers the flexibility uh, that they need that, that attracts you know, those opportunities and those leases. And, you know, this is all going to be done by technology. So whether it's, you know, if desk hoteling and hybrid workspaces are, are the prerogative of the corporate occupier, 
then deploying, you know, there's there's many softwares, including Yardi's Quorum, uh, for you to set up that's co-telling and track usage and use analytics on the back end to drive space decisions in the future. And then, you know, for the opportunities on the owner of the asset, uh, member management, having a system in place that helps you turn maybe unoccupied space into a co-working center uh, that then can then be monetized and also gives your building a little bit more flexibility, which in then turn will attract more tenants. Um, so I'll turn it uh, turn it over. Those are all my slides, and we'll see if we have any questions. Thank you, Turner. No, that's great work. That uh, you're building up the future picture there. I, it's, I find that fascinating, um, partly because of what's different. I, I've seen, and in fact, use that same image in the past. And as you call that, the boxes had somewhat some similarities, but something's very different. I just wonder. Um, I mean, how are commercial real estate owners of office space reacting to the changes in corporate occupier behavior and needs? Yeah, so great, great question. I think the biggest thing that we're starting to see is, you know, where we perhaps used to look at an office building and think, okay, we how many leases is it going to take for us to hit our, you know, our NOI goals or to create the return on this asset that we'd like? Owners are reacting to to changing tenant needs and changing tenant behavior in terms of that 10 year lease um, is rapidly becoming shorter and shorter and tenants are driving for shorter term leases and more flexibility in ways that owners are rethinking about the space. You know, we laser in on just the, the co-working opportunity is okay. If the tenants are going to come in and take less space, then perhaps we can command a slightly higher dollar per square foot and offset that with additional flexibility and amenities to that corporate occupier. So more, more leases of smaller contained spaces, knowing that each one of those is also going to then come over and on a daily basis have members that are in the co-working center when you know they have team in town or when they're having a team meeting, leasing out that event center or that conference room for the day and monetizing that as opposed to on, a, on the lease level on the uh, somewhat short-term rental or membership or uh, purchase of hours of use level. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, Turner, and I'm sure we'll get back to that um, in the panel discussion in uh, a few minutes' time. So thank you very much uh, for your presentation. And what I'd like to do now is move on to our next presenter, um, and our next presenter is Jeremy Kopstein. So Jeremy is working on building a state-of-the-art workplace and real estate application platform for Uber. He's responsible for the development and maintenance of Uber's application platform for the workplace and real estate team, which includes lease administration, transaction management, facility management, project management, smart building, and data strategy. So Jeremy, over to you. Thank you. Um, hello, everyone. So again, I'm Jeremy Kopstein um, with Uber Technologies. I've uh, been here for now four and a half years, leading our technology and application strategy for our workplace and real estate department. Prior to Uber, I worked at JLL as a product manager in their technology team. And prior to that, other various companies supporting CRE technologies. In total, I have 19 years experience in the world of corporate real estate and technology. What I'm gonna go over in the next few slides this high-level overview of our journey here at Uber as it relates to our occupancy sensor program with the goal to shed a little light on what our workplace and real estate team has been working on and where we're heading. So three years ago, we started 
piloting different sensor programs uh, to give our occupancy planning team a look at the type of data that these tools could collect and report. This tied to an existing pilot program our design team also was rolling out to have teams within the start to pilot out our new neighborhood concepts. We had numerous development projects in progress, one being our new headquarter campus in San Francisco. So we took the opportunity of piloting our new design standards to also pilot the different types of sensors in the market. The goal being twofold, give, our, give data to the design team to help better understand how their new neighborhooding pilots were working and second, to allow our occupancy planning teams to start to see some of the utilization data metrics that can be reported using these metrics. Then the pandemic hit. Offices were closed, construction projects put on hold. Teams had to fully shift to support fully remote workforce and how to safely bring back workers when the office locations could reopen. Our pilot programs were terminated. We went back to leveraging the existing data source to report out building attendance, our badging system. Our team did make a decision though, based on the business requirements and the outputs from our pilot programs to proceed with an RFP to select a vendor we can leverage at a more broad scale. Our focus was on three main opportunities, data to allow our occupancy planning team to better understand the actual utilization of our key office locations and support daily business needs. Second, data by space types to help our design team better understand how certain new space types are being utilized, which would help determine future design standards at our key office locations. And third, data to help improve experiences at our key offices and allow our FM team to operate our buildings more efficiently. To where we are today. We're now preparing for full return to office dates, which I'm sure many other on this call are. Um, this obviously will be different per region, basically large on local health organization requirements for employers. Our company has announced um, a plan to come back at a hybrid model, meaning workers have the option to choose 50% of their time to work remotely or from the office. We did end up completing construction on some of our new major talent hubs during the pandemics. So we have a large number of workers coming back to offices that they've never been to. We're also finalizing the selection of our sensor vendor RFP and the success measures with our stakeholders. With the new hybrid model, our team is ensuring we are fully aligned in how granular utilization data can help solve our key opportunities. So where we're heading, we've identified two large locations to expand a more formal deployment of our sensor program. This will allow our team to understand a few key elements. What it will take to physically deploy at scale and manage and maintain these devices. What is the output that will become the most useful for our team to answer their questions? What future improvements to the process and technology might be required? The goal is that we can leverage this initial expanded rollout to build a business case to continue to roll out to even more locations. Some of the concerns the teams are actively preparing for already, how do we manage all this new data? 
What are the resources do we need to support? What are other ways we can, can combine this data with other data sources to even get more analytics and insight? So thanks everyone for the short time to walk you through our journey on this initiative, and I hope it was a little helpful. That was great, Jeremy. Thank you. And, and there's a few things I'd like to perhaps follow up with you on. Um, you talked there about uh, combining the data. At the end, you were talking about combining the data that you get from occupancy with other data sources to, to look at opportunities for new kinds of decisions. I wonder, are there some examples of that you could perhaps talk about that you're perhaps just thinking about now? Yeah, I think a, a good example is, is we we did some storyboarding uh, the other day with the teams, right, to make sure we're really aligned with now with this hybrid model of what are we trying to solve? I always like to try to take a step back with teams and say, if you had the perfect dashboard, what would it tell you, right? Some of those were uh, conference rooms are good examples, right, you know, of teams that use conference rooms. Um, is it being the capacity of the space? you know, versus the actual people that have been there, you know? So there's an example of combining, we need to know how much space that 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 conference room can hold. And we wanna know how many people are actually there to really understand, you know, are our large conference rooms being used by one or two people and why? Um, so, you know, there's some good stories that started coming through there that we're clearly saying we need to combine badge data. We need to combine maybe calendar data or space uh, space planning data. Uh, so. I think storyboarding and, and and having those visions of what would you love to see or what are the problems you would like to answer, uh, usually try and drive, you know, we'll, we'll drive you to understanding that sensors will not solve everything. They're just going to be another data source and you'll have to start to look to, to future understand how you can combine those data as you're bringing on your, your new systems. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's interesting you mentioned the kind of calendar and scheduling alongside the occupancy. Uh, again, I, I remember from um, Zurich that we had, we, we looked at conference rooms, obviously it's a big deal, right? We have a lot of expensive conference space like most corporates. And um, one of the things that, that we couldn't quite understand was that our, our people were telling us there's, there's no meeting rooms, we can never get a meeting room. And when we did studies, there were always loads of meeting rooms empty. And we found, we found a couple of interesting things about that. One was, and, and I think uh, you might be able to speak to this because I know it's an area that you're keen on. One was that we found 40% of our meeting room occupancy was single person occupancy. So those were meeting rooms, they were offices essentially. Um, but the other thing was that what we found is that uh, people's perception of the availability of conference uh, space was based on the booking system, not the actual use of the rooms, of course, because you try and book the space, you look at the booking system. I just wonder, uh, at Uber, have you found any um, anything like that? And are you, are you looking at any ways of trying to reconcile these, these differences between what the booking and reservation systems say and what the actual reality of the space is? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that that's usually the hottest topic, you know, pre-pandemic. And I can say starting to already come again now, right? You know, even though we're at a voluntary base, right? It's this is the perception of there's no conference rooms available because people go to their calendar and they just try to select a room and they can't find one or they can't find their favorite room. So they're mad that their favorite room is not available, right? Everybody loves their one conference room that's always at the top of your uh, your uh, your Outlook calendar or Google calendar. Um, I think, you know, some of the, those are, those are perfect examples of goals we're trying to look at. How can the data help us you know, get ahead of those issues, right? You know, so better understanding what uh, what spaces are being used by how many people, you know, some of the things I've said to the team could be, 
maybe it's just a re-education to the workers, right? Again, we have workers coming back to locations that they've never been to. So the previous office is closed. They've been, you know, remote for two years. They're coming back to a new workplace. Well, this new workplace is designed for a different type of worker, work environment, right? So maybe there's re-education of, you know, etiquette with conference rooms, right? You know, and also making them aware that there's other point, there's other areas within the building that you don't need to book a room if you need to do a one person, right? You know, there's phone booths, there's a lot of collaboration space. We have enough space now that you can actually have a conversation and not have to be in a conference room. Um, so I think there's re-education. Um, and then back to also working with our IT people, you know, and also they're leveraging some of this information to auto release and open and then potentially start to show on digital wayfindings and experience apps of what what rooms are open now. So if I need a meeting now, if I just need a job to drop in, it doesn't mean that the room, the room might be booked, but the people left, right? So I have 15 minutes and I can drop in and finish it. So I think there's a lot of opportunities and data is gonna be the, the criticality to all of it. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to those topics in the panel. And But just before we get to the panel, we have one final presenter. Uh, last but by no means least, uh, I'd like to introduce David Gunter. David is an experienced global corporate real estate and facilities management professional. Uh, before joining Pinterest in February 2020 as the head of global workplace, he worked for corporate real estate and workplace services at HP. So David, over to you, please. Thank you, Chris. Um, and I'll, I'll preface my presentation by saying I have a lot more questions than, than answers. Uh, that was true pre-COVID and uh, certainly even more true today, but I'm, I'm happy to share how we're thinking about return to work, how sensors fit into that strategy and, and what we're doing. Uh, but frankly, there's there's just so much unknown out there because our, our employees have largely not returned yet. We do have offices in early stage, stages of reopening with very limited occupancy. Um, so we're, we're really iterating on this as we go, but happy to share uh, how we're thinking about that return to work and how sensors fit into that. And so one of the things that was was really evident to us after sort of the existential crisis of COVID and you know, is corporate real estate even a profession after this um, if offices aren't, aren't needed anymore? We Once we got through that crisis and realized, yes, offices will play a role in the future for our company and, and probably many companies, um, we realized, though, that we're asking a lot of our employees, both in the, in the short term and the long term. In the short term, we're asking them to um, attest to uh, health screenings every day. We're asking them to upload vaccine cards. We're asking them to register. Um, like a lot of companies, we're moving away from assigned seating where everybody had a one-to-one -one assignment. And we're gonna go to a much more flexible neighborhood style arrangement. And that just makes good business sense. And, and what was incredible about that is that's been one of the, the third rails in, in workplace for a long time is, oh no, don't, don't touch our seats. Um, and, and even incrementally moving towards a more flexible environment was always extremely com controversial. And after COVID, it was like, oh, yeah, we're doing that. Like, I, I don't think I had a single conversation with an executive at our company where it's like, you know, we shouldn't do that. Everybody, everyone agrees we should. But what that means is we're taking away a lot of that framework and certainty for employees. I know where my floor is. I know where my seat is. I know where my team is. And what are we reintroducing in place? that gives them the confidence they need to come into the office. And from a workplace perspective, I don't feel that it's my role to determine when and where people come to the office. I, I wanna make it as easy and as functional and as productive as it can be when they choose to come into the office. And, and I want my employees to have the tools that they need when they come into the office. And so 
it's not on me to, to dictate you come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's my job to make it seamless for them um, when they do choose to come in. And so we we realized early on we, we need a, a an integrated um, hub. We're we're calling our project work, workplace hub, and it's basically an app where employees can come in and interact with all the different elements of of workplace um, that they may need throughout any given day. And again, those those touch points are, are different post COVID in that they may need to go find a desk, they may need to go um, make a reservation. And so um, I don't want to send employees off to Envoy for visitor registration. We use Envoy for visitor registration and then go to Space uh, IQ for their seat reservation and another tool to submit a help ticket. We want to make it as easy as possible for them to interact with us. Um, and reduce the, the amount of change management or, or teaching that we have to do um, for employees to really understand how to, how to get the support that they need. And so we launched an RFP um, several months ago and, and looked at a number of tools that are out in the market. Some of them are some of the um, sort of the, the standard room booking platforms that you see or the IWMS platforms that, that have these capabilities. And what we ended up with, um, and let me just cycle back one, um, was a tool that's really uh, technology agnostic in terms of the source system. So our intention is not to change out our CAPM, our intention is not to change out our, our help desk system or our visitor management system. That that may happen over time naturally, uh, but our, our, our intent is really to create a unified experience for our employees. And so the entire project um, is based on the guiding principles of, is it easy for our employees? Is it useful for them? It should be a unified ecosystem. So we're not sending them all, all different places for, for different use cases. Uh, and it should also be an investment in scalability. So our company fortunately is in a, in a, a stage of growth. Uh, we're expanding um, both office footprint and from an employee perspective and whatever we deliver, we need to be able to scale it. We, we can't be rebuilding things every time we open a new office. And so creating a, a tool that really connects employees globally um, allows us to deliver services on a parity basis um, across the world. That was, that's really important to us. And so the technology we chose after, you know, talking with a number of companies um, is a company called CXAP. They were acquired now by Inpixon. I know there's other companies that, that do similar things. And um, really what we liked uh, about this particular product, and this is not a commercial for them, it's just um, sharing, sharing our experience, is one, they had a lot of pre-built APIs with a lot of the tools that companies like us already use. So in our case for visitor management, Envoy, um, Space IQ for the CAFM and, and, and others. Uh, and so a lot of those connections were already built. So the their ability to actually build out an app and connect it with the systems that we already use allowed us to, to get going pretty quickly. So they're, they're master integrated from that perspective. Again, scaling up and, and delivering this app as we open offices as part of our delivery process. Uh, we also really like that um, it was custom branded. So that was very important to us that you know, this is not some third party app in the sense that it looked like a third party app and but it's it looks and feels like the Pinterest brand. So we we partnered very closely with our internal brand team and gave the guidelines in terms of what, what the font needs to look like, how the layout should look um, and really um, making it have the look and feel of a Pinterest product that was super important to us. And so um, CX app is not only willing to do that, but that's that's their default uh, model is to make sure that the apps that they build are designed in a way that their their customers are really comfortable with. And so um, we are currently in the uh, implementation process. We're hoping to get the initial um, product uh, rolled out by December because we're going to start occupying in, in greater 
numbers in early 2022. And so some of the use cases are, are obvious. So desk booking, for example. So again, we're going away from one-to-one -one seating um, and creating neighborhoods. And so part of the functionality is making sure that people can see floor plans, they can see where their team sits, for example. And so that'll be something we're gonna enable is as long as a person agrees to share their, their information with their coworkers, you'll be able to find where your, your colleagues sit. You'll be able to see the bookings that they've made. Uh, you'll be able to see different team areas on a visual floor plan with, within the app, and you'll be able to, to book desks. So we require employees to book a desk every day they want to come in. You'll have a neighborhood, and if you're an employee of that office, you'll, you'll be able just to go in and drop in. Um, but if you are a visitor, for example, and, and you want to ensure that you have a place to sit, there will be that, that booking functionality. Room booking is another big thing. And so we're not changing how rooms are booked in perpetuity. We're, we're adding another way to book rooms. And so if, if anybody's tried to book a room on the fly with your phone through either Google Calendar or uh, Microsoft product, you can know how challenging it is. It may not be obvious where the room is, depending on naming convention. You might not know what kind of amenities the room has. And so one of the things we really liked about this particular product is that it has almost real-time syncing with our G Suite. So we're, we're a Google shop, um, but I believe they have similar functionality with the Microsoft stack. Um, and so we can, we've taken pictures of all of our conference rooms so a user can see um, what it looks like, what amenities it has. Um, they can book on the fly, like book now for 30 minutes, 60 minutes. You can see a floor plan with rooms and, and those that are available are green. Those that aren't will be a different color. Very quickly see where you are relative to where a room might be available. And what's great is once you book it on the app, it'll automatically duplicate that on your Google Calendar. It'll also be duplicated to the uh, the tablet that we have outside of the uh, the conference room. So we also have tablets where you could book locally, and um, all all of those um, different systems will be updated simultaneously. So no matter where you book the room, whether you book it um, locally at the tablet, on the app, um, on your desktop through Google it'll all reflect the exact same booking information in, in all the systems. And so, um, but this will, we feel, uh, will allow our employees, as they're gonna be more mobile throughout the day and less tied to any particular space, really be able to, to access the spaces that they need um, in real time. And so when we were really building this out, we thought about, okay, what's the employee journey? You know, what what might the, the day of an employee look like as they enter the office? And so this is sort of our, we're not trying to solve for every use case on day one, um, but we're thinking, okay, you know, we know they probably are going to need to book a desk for some period of time. Maybe they have to vis uh, register a visitor, so you're, you're having somebody meet you. At some point, we'll allow that again. Uh, they want to see the lunch menu and see what's uh, what's being prepared and served uh, today. Might, might need to book a conference room. They might need to uh, report an issue. Maybe they go into the restroom and, and see that a, a sink is broken and want to tell us about it. Um, and so these are all things that we're saying, okay, we want all of these to be able to be serviced through the app. Um, and maybe there's an executive that's giving a, um, a speech in the all hands in the afternoon, and we want to push that out to all employees and let them know that they can see um, uh, see that in the afternoon. Um, so it also has the push capability of, of comms as well. And so this is how we're thinking about building out the product. Going forward, um, there's a lot more that we can do. And so, again, we're trying to scope this in a way where we're solving the most important use cases first. Um, but there may be other things like um, in some of our offices, we don't um, uh, serve hot food. They're too small. And so we, we allow employees to 
uh, deliver food or receive food delivery services. And so integrating that within the app so they get they can order their lunch through the same app um, as the workplace app. Uh, they can see the employee directory. So we use Rometto here, which is uh, a Slack slash Salesforce product now. Um, and so really bringing in all of those different elements where you know, right now our employees have to go to all these different locations to get different pieces of information. How can we make that simpler, easier, and more intuitive? Just trying to advance the slide there. So Chris, I, I really appreciate the time. Um, if there are any questions, happy to take those on. I don't know that I have answers, but I'll do my best. That was fantastic, David. Thank you. I just have uh, one, one question for you, and then we'll invite the other panelists back in in a moment. Um, I, I recall you saying um, that you weren't so sure that there'd be a big investment in your existing space, but you'd be focusing very much on the new offices. And I'm just curious about why that is. Is it to do with the retrofit costs being prohibitive, or is it that the new buildings have capabilities and, and associated services that mean the benefit is much greater in the new buildings? Yeah, I think it's the latter. So it's not that we're not doing anything. So most of our offices are relatively new. So we we have the benefit of of having a relatively new portfolio. So for us to go in and speculatively remodel everything, it'd be um, I, I think it'd be sort of a dangerous bet because we don't know exactly how employees are going to behave and what they're going to like. So we're making incremental investments. So in our in our existing space, we're adding lockers, we're adding um, privacy phone booths for, for people to drop in and out of, which was something we, we didn't have enough of. We're adding more um, collab seating. So we're doing some things, but we're not doing full scale remodels. In, where we are uh, landing new offices, we're trying to be more bold and um, trying to you know, really test things that are different, at least for us. And so in our Toronto office, for example, that'll, that'll come online in 2022, we're trying really different concepts around just some, some shared spaces that are themed, like we're having a greenhouse theme, we're having a, a library theme and different parts of the space are, are really designed to support different kinds of work. And I feel really good about the concepts, but we're really gonna have to see how employees respond to that. But you're right, I think there's, there's these opportunistic moments when you have a new project that it, it makes sense to try things new like i wouldn't go and rip everything out of our san francisco headquarters and try that not knowing whether or not that's going to be a good return on investment so that's how we're thinking about it um trying to be really careful with with how we we spend our money yeah it makes a lot of sense thank you david okay let me invite the uh, rest of the panelists to come back on video and uh, let's just open up this conversation a little bit We've covered a lot of ground there, and I thank you all for giving the uh, such a variety of perspectives. Um, so I wonder whether we can just kind of use a balance of our time here to explore some of the things that, that kind of came up. Uh, and I wonder whether um, one place to start, uh, Jeremy, this is something you said to me uh, earlier in the week. Um, you mentioned that doing the right thing isn't cheap. Uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and we've heard some of the ways in which uh, perhaps you a corporate can approach this um, in kind of baby steps and incrementally. But but Jeremy, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Where where are the kind of direct and, and the hidden costs that make this um, expensive potentially? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of terms, you know, making an investment in sensors is an investment, right? You know, so, you know, you, that's why when any company potentially tries to go and say, I want to solve sensors, right? First thing they ask is, is how much it's going to cost me, right? You know, I think a lot of situations people look at, well, this is how much it's going to cost for devices and this is how much it's going to cost for maintenance. They fail to realize, you know, the the management of the devices, right? The burden on your potential IT, IT infrastructure. And then the, the the actual resources you need to do something with the data, right? Sensors will collect data and will provide you a dashboard, but the analytics and insight of it is you know how to you know know how to use that data. So that there 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 is more to just buying sensors and installing them, right? It's it's the whole life cycle of the sensors from planning, installing to manage, maintaining, and using the data. That all has a kind of a, a cost to it, especially from a resource perspective. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, Jared, I wonder whether you wanted to come in on this. Yeah, so I would completely agree with Jeremy. I think that a lot of folks see the cost and they struggle with the ROI aspect and, and they want to see an immediate return on it. And it's, you know, it's not something that is going to pay for itself overnight. But, you know, on the flip side, what is the cost of not moving your workplace strategy forward, right? You know, what's the cost in attraction and retention? What's the cost in wasted real estate space? Um, you know, what's the cost in falling behind your peers when it comes to having a progressive workplace strategy? Um, so I, I think that all of those are, are very real and sometimes not quite as tangible as the obvious space usage and informing space changes aspects that we touched on earlier and a lot of folks on here touched on. Um, but, you know, it really is worth discussing. And I think that diving into what that ROI might mean for a particular client, because it's going to look different for everybody, right, is really key. And, you know, maybe not taking an industry standard for granted is, is an important aspect there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. David, what's this look like from a, a Pinterest perspective? Yeah, so um, as, a, as a technology junkie, I, I am super geeked out by sensors and and the things that they're able to do now versus even just five years ago. So from that that side of my brain, you know, I would love to just put sensors everywhere and and just geek out on the data. Um, but from the business manager side of my brain, um, I think about sensors and really beyond sensors, sort of the data that they collect and allow you to analyze in, in two distinct vectors. One is they provide data that allows you as a manager to assess how efficient your real estate platform is or um, how your employees are interacting with the space and, and hopefully make better decisions about real estate allocation, how you design, et cetera. And then there's also the vector of the employee experience. Are you improving the experience for employees through the use of sensors? And I, I think that's a little bit more of a difficult solve, to be honest. Um, but can you direct employees to spaces that maybe are less crowded? Can you help them understand when they might want to go to lunch um, at a time where there's not as many people in line or there, and I, I'm sure there's other use cases. And so for us, um, sensors are going to be a part of that strategy. And I think we're really at that experimental phase right now where it's like, what are the use cases? Like, how can we, because we're going to collect all this data and if we're not prepared to actually use it and make improvements, then, um, then what's the point? And so I want to make sure that we understand that aspect of it before we go and invest. Um, so, I, you know, I think, the investment would be there if we can really articulate the business case and business case both from a financial perspective but also from an employee engagement perspective and so we're, we're taking a very moderate approach uh, in terms of um, how we think about investing so in, in new builds we'll likely consider adopting some sort of sensors 
um, in an existing space, it may be more of an incremental iterative approach. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I wonder whether um, I'd like to come to Andy next and, and kind of move us on. Andy, you talked about a, a lot about the environment and sustainability, and you mentioned COP26 um, over here in the UK up in Glasgow. We know that energy performance in buildings is often driven by the behavior of the occupants, uh, all buildings, not just uh, commercial office buildings, of course. Um, and you know, these are our people. And I'm curious, to what extent do you see these technologies being used to shape the behaviors um, rather than simply respond to the behaviors? So maybe you know, there's all of this work around nudge theory and all of these things where we can influence the way people use the buildings to be, um, you know, to be more efficient. Um, what are you seeing there? And I think after you, Andrew, I'll, I'll come to turn on the same topic. <laughs> okay, I'll answer that in two parts. Firstly. I think it's uh, it's surprising how people kind of respond to the technology and the suggestions about energy efficiency. Um, which way should I go? Um, you can see behind me on the wall, I've got like a Nest thermostat. And um, it's amazing, actually, I kind of check it on a regular basis and, and look at how much energy I'm using and, and, and try and get it into that eco-friendly zone. Uh, on a regular basis. So it, it, the information does actually create uh, change in people's um, uh, activities and, and, and so on. But the second part is is really what we're starting to see is that the data that we all have available to us um, that's grown significantly is now actually being utilized um, to best effect through uh, implementing things like uh, AI-based um, solutions to actually suggest what someone might do and be more proactive in terms of driving energy efficiency um, through the information that's available uh, to them. So we're seeing that it's not just a case of um, presenting a dashboard and expecting someone to look at that and make decisions. It's actually being more proactive in terms of suggesting that they do do certain things from the information that's available to them. Yeah, I think that, that's that's fantastic. I, I think it's, I mean, that's really getting to prescriptive analytics in a way, isn't it? Trying to actually not just do the analytics, but it, it change the outcome as a consequence. Yeah, with, um, Turner and I were both at Realcom last week, and there was an interesting discussion that was taking place about whether dashboards are dead. Um, and, the, and the fact is, is if you think about it, most operational dashboards can be eradicated because if you put the correct AI kind of technology in place, then it's going to make those decisions for you rather than expect someone to kind of interact with that dashboard to kind of uh, make a decision based on that data. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, and now we're talking about AI and machine learning. It's great. We got there. That's, <laughs> thank you for that, Andy. Turner, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so I'm going to pull us right back away from AI and machine learning and, and kind of piggyback off of uh, something David shared, which is like there's these two vectors that need to be considered, and one is from a financial standpoint, and one is, and perhaps more importantly, um, from a human standpoint. And to serve both of those things, I think, yes, the data 
having things in place, whether it be sensors or, or what have you, to collect data is important. Having a solution for all of this disparate data coming from different systems and organizing it in one place is probably the, the most important component to all of this is being able to have everything available. And then, you know, that last step is, is refining it into decision making. And whether that be, a, a, you know, this process of data is the oil and, and decision, you know, availability is, is refining that data into gasoline. Sure, the decision could be made by a predictive AI model, but let's use something as that, that looks at both the financial and the human element. As opposed to having a sensor, you know, in a room that's connected to something that drives the HVAC system to know when to heat up that room on a cold day, be reactive to the employee coming in. If the same system is connected to the solution that that employee used to rent that desk for the day and hotel in, knows the time they put that they're expected to arrive um, and the day that they're going to be there, the room could already be warm, you know, 30 minutes before they arrive. This is creating a better experience for that employee. And, you know, we're not going to have any sort of um, maybe the sensor gets triggered by uh, the janitorial service just coming in to, to empty a garbage can and leave quickly. And, and the system now heats up the entire room, um, which is a drain on energy costs. So sure, I think we could layer on top predictive AI models and machine learning that analyzes a room and the patterns of a room and when it should be warm. But we probably could accomplish the same end of making people happy and saving energy by just ensuring that the right systems are connected to the right decision-making mechanisms. And that may be as simple as, oh, there's two desks reserved in this room, so we should heat it up at eight. Uh, yeah, that makes you know it's it's so obvious sometimes some of these things, but it's it's great great advice there. Uh, you you mentioned data as oil. I, I was having a conversation last week with somebody about they were saying data is the new oil, and I was like, no, data is not the new oil because all oil is valuable, and not all data is valuable. I think data is the new wine, right? There's good wine and there's bad wine, and <laughs> wine just like just like wine, data is something you, that you shouldn't just have on the shelf to look at. You need to drink it, right? So yeah, maybe that's the dashboard analogy. So thank you for that one. Shaham, um, I know you want to come in on this and also I'd like to, I'd also like to kind of follow up with you and talk a bit more about data, but yeah, please, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, reacting to data as well uh, to influence, uh, uh, reacting to behavior as well as uh, influencing behavior, it's very tightly coupled together, right? So one is like, Getting the data, getting the occupancy data to use to feed in machine learning and uh, AI algorithms to control and um, HVC systems to improve the tenant uh, comfort. That's that's way that's reacting to behavior. Now, the flip side of it right now, if if you now surface the data back to the tenants, right? Like, okay, by doing this and this, uh, or today we save this amount of energy or reduce the carbon footprint by, by this amount or that amount, that drives back change in behavior. Like today people, once you feed them back with data that, hey, you know, we managed to reduce carbon footprint, they actually wanna be part of it. So um, 
you know, it's a it, it's a very tightly coupled uh, uh, reaction as well as uh, action to to drive and change uh, in behavior. Yeah, I think that's interesting, isn't it? You've got on the one hand, the one extreme perhaps is that kind of self motivation. Um, I think Andy, were you, were you talking about uh, almost gamification of this data uh, yeah. as as a one extreme, and then you can have um, you know the technology recommending choices for the for your people to make for the occupants to make, and I suppose right at the other extreme, you can have the technology constraining the choices, as you were suggesting a minute ago, Andy, perhaps making the decisions for the the occupants to some extent. So there's clearly a whole range of things we can do. Charles, I'd like to just come back to you briefly because one of the things that you were um, talking about uh, earlier in the week was um, some of the challenges around dealing with occupancy data and I'd like to just spend a, a minute or two on that and just get a sense of you know not all data is equal right so what's the problem with the occupancy data just like you said uh, there's good data and there's not uh, good data right uh, and it's all a matter of, of the quality of the data right so for example right I mentioned before that one of the ways to capture occupancy could be from uh, badging or access control right but those only allow you to count the in, not everyone badges out, right? So like, how do you derive how many people are actually in the building right now, right? Uh, or when are people going out to lunch or, 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 or leaving the day? Um, uh, a big thing obviously is privacy, right? Uh, people are concerned about um, their privacy and will my employer know where I am or, um, uh, or where I'm going or, or where I'm not? right now, for, for, for example. Um, so different, uh, we have to deal with that type of challenges. Uh, one of the challenges I mentioned, uh, you know, we're able to get data or occupancy data off uh, Wi-Fi access points. However, like if we all look at our pockets right now, right, we have our laptop, we have our uh, uh, mobile phone, our wallet, like, but I'm all one single person, right? So. We have to clean that data. We have to, um, um, you know, make it or count all these different devices to actually be one person. Understand that it's indeed that one person. So, uh, end of the day, it's different. It, it's taking all these uh, data sources. You need to clean them. You need to make them uh, uh, valuable. And in most cases, also to use, or in a lot of cases, to combine data together to actually. Uh, make it actionable and useful um, uh, for the application. Thank you, Shah. Um, so David and Jamie, we've got a question for you from the audience. Uh, so for your premises uh, that are leased in a multi-tenant building, to what extent are your strategies and tactics dependent upon the landlord also being equally digitally advanced? Perhaps David first and then Jamie? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because we come across it all the time. Um, in, we see it with badge readers, access control, security cameras, and a number of applications. So um, with respect to the deployment of our new app, um, you know, I think we're less dependent because the, the things we're trying to solve for don't necessarily require physical infrastructure. Um, you know, in the, in the cases where we're actually using sensors and, and ingesting that data in, um, that might complicate it, but we we've deployed different levels of capabilities depending on how many people we have in an office so if we only have 10 15 people in an office we're not going to um 
provide all of the same um, amenities and services as we would in an office that has 2,000, 3,000 employees. And so um, we we often do have challenges dealing with landlords. Um, it comes up all the time, even you know, irrespective of, of this particular topic. Um, and I'm not sure, to be honest with you, like what what sort of challenges we might run into um, with this with this build out. Um, that's a great question, and I'd be happy to come back and, and share challenges. But um, yeah, landlord relationships are always something we have to navigate. Thank you, David and uh, Jeremy. Reasonably briefly, if I may ask. Yeah, yeah, I would say similar approach. You know, we we are focusing on our major talent. You know, hub offices. You know, as it relates to digital strategies. You know, a lot of those are are we are in a multi-tenant but they're still a town hub so we are rolling out you know apps you know looking at sensors the data because these are properties we're making long-term investments right so right now those are as they kind of say bang for your buck right we want to make sure we have good experiences uh we have the data to be able to help support that um i think eventually we might have to look at other offices i think where that will come is is one thing is is employee feedback right you know you know if you go and visit one of our talent hubs it's obviously a different experience than a smaller office right um obviously employee will understand that like yeah i, I get it you have a kitchen here we're not gonna have a kitchen at you know this office over here but man i love this app that we're using you know that i get to use at a, a, at a talent hub why can't i use that at a smaller site so i think there will be some scalability but first show the proof, right? You know, that what we're building is actually benefit to the workers, right? And to our real estate team. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And thank you, everyone. We have run out of time. We could have clearly gone on for much longer. Um, so massive thank you from me. Um, I'd just like to hand it back to Sarah now. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for facilitating the conversation. I thought it was a great content for the audience. Really appreciate all your time and effort into planning this event and preparing your presentations and uh, to Chris for facilitating the conversation. I also want to invite everyone to join us for next week's webinar, where we will be talking about um, smart building strategies and mostly about the role of health, wellness and productivity going forward. And then we're also planning the topics for the 2022 webinar schedule. So if you would like to participate in a survey to contribute um, the topics that you would like to see, um, I'd really appreciate that. The link is in the um, chat. So um, if you have time, I would appreciate everyone's input. And with that, I want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks.